Welcome to episode 10 of the Polis Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Ben. And today we're going to do our first city profile. We're going to start by talking about Los Angeles and what makes Los Angeles unique and what makes it Los Angeles. Yeah, and maybe it's problems and uh, triumphs of, of urbanism. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah, how good of a city it is. Triumphs, exactly. That's what I think of. <laughs> of course you would. You're from Los Angeles, Yeah, John. you know. That got that got that hometown pride. <laughs> right, right, right. But as someone from Northern California, I am just born and bred to dislike you. Well, envy, you know, envy sparks around. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So let's just start with a kind of overview. Yeah, totally. So I feel like we should give a little bit of background about Los Angeles first mm. and where it is currently. So right now, Los Angeles is about 3.8 million people within the city of LA. And if you have ever been to LA and what we will talk about um, a lot in this episode is LA is gigantic. So I don't like using the number 3.8 million as like the population of Los Angeles, quote unquote. Yeah, no, not at I all. I like to refer to it as by the population of its metro area, which according to the 2010 census is about 13 million people. And it really varies based upon where you draw the lines with that. Because if you take right. in the full extended metro area, it's closer to 18 million. Um, but that's including a wide swath, including like all of Orange County and San Bernardino, Bernardino County. Yeah. Like it's kind of continuous city for miles and miles all around. A while. So it's it's hard to know where exactly you should draw the lines. But somewhere in that vicinity, at, at the high, it's 18 million. At the low, it's 12 or 13 million. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just enormous yeah much bigger than the city you're absolutely right right it's massive even at like 13 million people it's the Mm. second largest metro area by population in in the united states yeah and it's 30th in the world which ranks it up there it's pretty big yeah and then in terms of at least the way that the census kind of breaks it down it's the statistical area we're talking about los angeles county ventura county orange county san bernardino county and riverside county Um, And if you look on a map, these are all sort of the adjacent counties to LA County, which is right in the middle of it. We should also mention there are a bunch of cities within each of those counties and a bunch of cities within LA County itself and kind of within LA proper, I guess. Like, like I think, I think the thing for me that always gets me is just how borderless the city feels. And I just don't understand how the municipal governments work down there because it's, it's huge. It is a strange setup. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, One of the other things that I wanted to mention too is sort of its metro size within that metropolitan area of those counties I kind of mentioned. It's about 4,850 square miles or 12,561 kilometers squared. And it is makes it sort of the largest metropolitan region in the U.S. by land area. But a part of San Bernardino and Riverside counties are actually pretty sparsely populated. They're just huge. And so sort of just take that with a grain of salt. While it is giant, you know, it's not all people. And even if you subtracted out those zones, it's still enormous. Right, right. Yeah, I just want to throw just want to throw that little caveat in there. Sure, sure. Yeah. So then also it's super diverse. There are 140 countries representative people who live and work in the city. According to the last the 2010 census, the population of Los Angeles County was about 29% white, 10% black, 11% Asian, and 49% Latino or Hispanic. And so the city is hugely diverse. There's there's like a Koreatown, Little Ethiopia, Japantown, and there's people from all over the world represented in LA. So it's it's giant, it's massive. It feels that way when you're driving around. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah, and just to go a little bit into kind of the origins of the city. Sure. I, I think most people kind of know, or at least, I mean, we're from California, so we definitely know. But most of the major metropolitan areas in California got their start in terms of kind of a Western civilization standpoint from Spanish colonization and the mission system that they established. Los Angeles is no different. It was originally kind of founded in 1781, but it didn't really become a city of any magnitude until right around the turn of the century, around 1900. Around 1900, it was about 100,000 people. So still really pretty small when you're looking at comparing it to Chicago, New York, San Francisco, certainly any of the major European cities, it was not large around 1900. But by the 1920s, 1930s, it was already well over a million. By 1930, it was over 2 million. And it continued to grow pretty rapidly from there. And that's just talking about the city. So when you're looking out at the larger metropolitan area, all of these different municipalities, all of these different cities within the zone, all of these places were growing rapidly at the same time. Like I am technically from Long Beach. I'm not from Los Angeles. It's just down the road. 
And they started growing around then too, around 1900, and they grew rapidly through this whole period. So the city really came into its own around the 1930s. Uh, a lot of people were kind of fleeing the East Coast, I suppose, and going out to this land of promise in California. The Dust Bowl contributed to it. A lot of things contributed to the growth of Los Angeles. And then certainly going into the 1940s and 1950s, you had World War II and a huge aerospace investment, a lot of airplane manufacturing, huge oil investments. And obviously the war in the Pacific and Japan caused a lot of industrial investment on the West Coast in Los Angeles in particular. That's kind of where in the 1950s, the city took on not its current role in the world, but it started to take on the identity that we think of today in around the 1950s and early 1960s. Don't forget movies, John. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. It was, yeah. And it was the 1930s uh, where the movie industry really took off as well in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. I always forget about that because I focus on other aspects of the economy. <laughs> but yeah, certainly that's what everybody else thinks of. I mean, it's so unique, right? That's true. Um, That's true. When you, when you think of movies, it always comes with the Hollywood yeah, sign. Yeah. And it always comes with LA and palm trees and all that other stuff from down there. But it, it, around that time, between the 30s and 50s, we can say that that's when all of its major industries sort of were born and built and became a foundation for the city to then leapfrog after World War II during that sort of resurgence of US growth. Mm, yeah. And that laid the foundation for the city not only to grow population-wise, but also grow uh, financially, and then also grow geographically too. Yeah, We'll talk about this a little bit later, but the that's when the all, all the major freeways popped up. That's when the streetcars were bought and sold and discontinued and, um, and, and shut then, and yeah, shut, completely shut down. And then now today it's trying to, I want to say, reinvent itself. It seems to me like it's trying to reinvent itself from the city that it had become after maybe the 80s, between yeah. the 50s and the 80s, when it just exploded in population and, and finances and also size. It to me, it's it you know it it's trying to keep its core values, but also not play into its major faults that any Angelina will tell you, and anyone who's ever been there will tell you is its traffic and getting around and just and the smog and the sprawl and the industrialness of the city, which like adds to its aesthetic, but definitely brings with it major problems. To me, that's to me that's like kind of where it's at right now today. Would you Would you agree, Angelina? Uh. I, I think I would. I mean, it's really been since the early 2000s that a lot of discontent has been brewing about the way the city is structured. And I think, you know, it, it's it's a classic problem of, you know, if you invest a certain way, it only allows a certain kind of city to exist and it limits you. And And Los Angeles, coming into the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, continually invested in single family homes in these large suburban tracks. And that has historically limited the way you can live in the city. And that wasn't really a huge problem for a lot of people for a long time. But once there was no longer any space to build single family homes in the area, suddenly all the house prices started rising very rapidly in the 90s and the 2000s. And everyone got angry that not only you have to get stuck in traffic and you have to have a car and there's tons of smog, but now house prices are outrageous and you're two hours away from your job. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, d discontent certainly has been rising. And I think you're right. The city has been trying to reconfigure itself to a certain extent to be more urban and less suburban, especially where I'm actually from in Long Beach. Long Beach has long been on the progressive side. And it, it's an interesting thing. Like we're, We may not get too much into the politics of the city, but Los Angeles has historically b been a relatively conservative place compared to other large metropolitan areas in California. Like if you're comparing it to Santa Barbara, you're comparing it to San Francisco, like it's a, it's been a relatively working class conservative city. And it has also been a relatively poor city historically, but it has come out of that to a large extent over the last couple decades and shifted further toward the left and a number of the cities in pockets have become much more progressive. Uh, Long Beach is one of those and has invested a huge amount in terms of trying to be ecologically friendly and in terms of trying to have a lot more public transit and things like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely in the process of attempting to reinvent itself. But it is an interesting case study because it shows you how difficult it is to reinvent yourself when you've laid down all of this enormously expensive infrastructure go in one direction. It's really hard to turn around and go the other direction. 
Yeah. So in your research, what did you see as the reasons why LA is so sprawling as it is and, and why it has so many freeways? And what do you think contributed to the Los Angeles city as it is today? I mean, I feel like there's lots of ways we look at LA as a city, but because this is a show about cities and transit and walkability and all that, yeah. I think I really wanted to dive into where it came from and where it is today and potentially where it might be going in the future. And I was, I was curious, like what you saw and, and maybe also if you could speak to sort of your lived experience of sure. trying to get around LA and just for, for listeners who are not sure, like Long Beach, when we look at it on a map and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you look at it on a map, it's relatively sort of in the Southern portion of the city and it's right on the coast. Yeah. Right? So getting sort of from Long Beach to other parts of Los Angeles, um, and I'm just going to use it interchangeably here. I know Long Beach is technically not in LA. It's fine. It's in LA County. Right. I'm going to use it interchangeably because... To me, as an outsider, it's all one big city, and it feels like it when you drive around. Sure. So just just to give that sort of context yeah. of where it is within the city, that it's not centrally located. Yeah, Long Beach is a large enough city in of itself. I think it's roughly around 700,000 people now that it really can exist independently. But it's it's right there down as far south as you can go, and it's nestled kind of right between Orange County and Los Angeles County. You drive 30 minutes directly north, you get to downtown if you have no traffic, assuming there's no traffic, which is yeah. a big assumption to make there. But yeah, I, I think in my research, the thing that struck me most and has always struck me most is what I mentioned before about the fact that it didn't exist and suddenly it existed and it was enormous. And over the course of one generation, the city was completely reshaped. An interesting thing about the city is that obviously we're not really talking about Los Angeles within itself, right? We're talking about all of these other cities within the metropolitan area. And all of these cities formed early on. Most of the major cities are beach towns, right? So you have Long Beach, as we've discussed, but you also have Huntington Beach further south. You have Santa Monica further north. So you had these dozen or so beach towns that formed along the coast, and all of them wanted to link up to the major metropolitan heart, which was Los Angeles. And so you had this push as the city was growing with all of this extra space that people could expand and build into. And they wanted to link up their small town. And a lot of these towns formed because there was oil in a lot of these places and you had to go where the oil was. And so you had all of these different communities spread out throughout the region that wanted to link up. And it was just too large of a region to link up with the kind of traditional rail links that you would deal with, especially in the period that it was growing which was the 1930s, the Great Depression. There was no money for public investment. I mean, I know that we made a lot of public investments in that period, right? Like that was the whole New Deal time. But th there was no way that they were going to make the kind of investments that they needed in order to establish an entire system of rail links throughout that massive region. So when you think about a place going from 100,000 people to 2 million over the course of 30 years, and you think of the time period that this happened in, right around the rise of the car, right when you know Ford and the Model T were taking over the world, it makes sense that it formed in this unusual way. And I mean, just to mention one other thing about this, it's also notable as a city because it has no geographic restrictions. Most cities have some sort of geographical restriction, right? So San Francisco exists on a peninsula. And it's a big barrier if you want to travel across a massive bridge or you want to travel all the way around the peninsula. So it kind of is geographically limited. Manhattan is on an island. It's geographically limited. All the medieval cities in Europe, or even when you take cities like Hong Kong in Asia, right, or Singapore in Asia, like they are limited by their coastal area or rivers or mountains, things like that. Los Angeles didn't have any obvious restrictions other than the coastal mountains, which allowed for a massive expansion. So you had this massive suburban expansion to link up all of these different communities, this huge influx of people, and the cheapest, fastest, most reasonable, and at the time w was thought to be the most modern way to address this and, and build out the city was building highways, building roads, and building a lot of suburban homes. You know, And this links up with at the time in the 30s and 40s and 50s, this idea of the American dream and wanting to have a single family home and that that was the future and that the car would allow for all of this. And I think all of this came together in Los Angeles in kind of what people would have thought about at the time as the ideal city. It's got perfect weather. It's got single family homes and this wonderful new modern car transportation system. We look back on it now and say, it's got a lot of drawbacks, but 
at the time, this is exactly what people wanted in an ideal city. And that's what we've got. Right. Yeah, I think that's a concise way of talking about Los Angeles and sort of the reasons why it is the city that it is today. The thing that I find most interesting about Los Angeles is that it was able to grow the most right at the time when we were able to spread out the most. So yeah. it did have, and we'll talk about this, but it did have a really actually amazing streetcar network of trams and, and things that people could get around on. But then the car hit and yeah. the growth of U.S. manufacturing and sort of the resurgence of the individual incomes right before, during, and after uh, World War II uh, and then that continued throughout the 60s and 70s. I mean, we, we've talked about it before and, and how the invention of the car and the eventual mass production of it helped to directly cause the expansion of cities geographically because it, it just reduced travel time by so much. Right. But then everyone started to get cars and space started to become scarce because no one was building up. They were only building out. And so that it just increased travel times farther and farther out. And so then LA was just able to grow and grow and grow. And that I always found really interesting because you're right, because it wasn't constrained geographically. Yeah. It, it just created sort of this perfect storm for sprawl. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, and so to me, LA, especially because people like to compare and contrast it with New York City, right, being the, the largest two metropolitan mm -hmm. areas in, in the country. Of course. I mean, like Chicago looks like this too, and Houston and Dallas, any of the sort of Sunbelt cities, the ones in sort of... The Southwest, yeah. Right, in the Southwest of the US that have basically no rain and sun all the time. And they're all new. And they're all relatively new. And they all sort of, they were all able to expand right around the time of the invention and mass production of the car. And, and, and when everyone thought that freeways were going to be the next big thing. And freeways were the next big thing. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. I should say freeways yeah. became the next big thing and, and really changed cities as we know it. You know, LA helped sort of contribute to that idea of what a city should be and what it should look like. It was a pioneer um, in a lot of ways. It was. For, for better or worse, for yeah. better or worse, it was. And it really boosted the image of a lot of these things because, yeah. you know, you had the glamour of Hollywood. You know, this is where cutting edge technology of like mm -hmm. jet engines and airplanes mm -hmm. and, you know, Boeing and all of that stuff was located. Like it, it makes sense that this was very much seen as the future. Mm -hmm. And another interesting side effect of this, of the time in which it grew, is that it is almost unique it's, it's actually similar to those other sunbelt cities that you mentioned but in terms of massive metropolitan areas it is almost unique in the fact that it defies how other cities are defined so most cities are a port city like you look at san francisco or new york they're very much port cities or liverpool right they're very much port cities these are industrial era port cities if you look at a lot of older cities like london or paris they're very much river cities if you look at a lot of cities that came out during the industrial area that aren't on the coast, they're all railroad cities. So all of these cities have focal points where they kind of grow up and are based on whatever the centrally important thing is. And it's generally a transportation infrastructure kind of centralization mm -hmm. point. Los Angeles doesn't have that sort of locus, partially because it grew up in the era of cars, but partially because it is this massive sprawl between other existing metropolitan areas. Where the city center is in terms of downtown, that is a ways away from the port down in Long Beach. That is miles and miles away from that. And, you know, Los Angeles, one way to define it is based upon the port. It is very much a port city. Like almost a third of cargo traffic in the United States comes through the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which are connected they're joined they're right next to each other like it's the 10th biggest port in the world and they have a huge amount of stuff coming in and for most other cities like if you think about liverpool if you think about rotterdam like they are defined by that los angeles isn't defined by that because it is so enormous and sprawls away mm -hmm. from that other mm -hmm. places are defined by where the railroads are or things like that that's where they centralized you don't have that there either. And so that adds to the issue because you don't have this huge incentive to locate in the central zone like you would in a lot of places. Like in New York, it's really useful to locate in Midtown or Downtown, certainly in Manhattan. It's not that useful in Los Angeles to locate in a particular place because there are a lot of different poles of concentration, right? So obviously right. people know about Hollywood. That's a big concentration for the entertainment industry. But that was never a huge place for the aerospace industry, which was massive, or the oil industry, which was massive, or agriculture, which was massive. Like Orange County was called Orange County because it was massive orange groves and massive amounts of farmland back 
before the 60s when they built all of the houses, right? So it, it is a unique city in that way, that it, it has different concentrations in different areas. That's a really interesting point that you bring up. And, and as you were talking, I was thinking about the other cities around the world that you mentioned and like their histories, because I'd never actually, I never thought about LA in that way. But you're right, it, it definitely feels like there are multiple poles within the city, P-O-L- Yes, right. Like, right, right. That's definitely a really good way to put it. And when you fly in and when you look at it up from above, you'll notice that there's like clearly a downtown area with high rises. But yeah, other areas around the city, there are also other centers of gravity. And they are different cities within LA. And, and, they, and they kind of exist in their own right. Yeah, you know, like Santa Monica, which is sort of this beachside it's zoned relatively low two or three stories is what you're dealing with yeah two or three stories right but it's it's definitely like a beachside town but this adjacent to to venice which in itself is sort of a destination because of its beach and because of the guy who created it or part of it wanted to make it canal like like venice italy and and, and what i'm trying to say is like you have people who want to live in these areas and then who live by the beach where it's cooler and have like these cool amenities but work in downtown la but then the suburb quote unquote of like Santa Monica ha- has its own weight, its own gravity and people swirl around it. Like Snapchat right now is centered right. in Venice and they're, they're trying to create instead of Silicon Valley, they're trying to create Silicon beach, which I just think like I worked, I, I remember I worked at some technology conferences down there earlier in my career. And I remember them talking about Silicon beach and I just remember hanging my head in shame. Like, <laughs> like, Oh, stop trying to imitate Northern California. Like we are Southern California. What is wrong with you guys? Uh, Im- imitation is the strongest form of flattery. Oh, I'm just gonna say, it's just um, the worst. <laughs> uh, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is like you're right in that LA has all of it offers so many different things and it has so many different things in it that are not close to one another. Yeah, that's what's so mind blowing about it is like people have these crazy commutes because it's so spread out, but it's so spread out because there's so many different things that you can do and go to and work in, but none of it's close. None of it is close. So like rather than having like Denver's a really good example. You have you have just this downtown core where everyone works, right? That's where like most yeah. of the jobs are. It's like right there in that downtown core. Yeah. And then and then and then you have all of the suburbs around it, sort of in rings around it. And it stretches out pretty far. Like Denver's a really big city, but everyone commutes basically into Denver and then back out again. Whereas in LA it's like commuting everywhere at once every direction everybody's going somewhere else exactly i bet you you know there's that strongest commute right into downtown la but hollywood's like west of la right so if you work in in that industry like and you live somewhere else you commute out there a lot of people will commute from downtown to west hollywood because it's like hip and the corridor that is known for having the worst traffic goes from the south down in long beach out to the west over by santa monica right like that's the corridor that has the worst traffic and it doesn't go anywhere close to downtown right exactly exactly and honestly i I went to la i think maybe five or six times before i ever went to downtown los angeles the very first time i spent time in downtown la was last year. And I went to school in Southern California. You know, I had just never experienced it because it was just not necessarily a place to go. And I didn't need to. None of my friends lived there. We we wouldn't like visit for fun yeah. in any way. And like my friend's parents wouldn't work in downtown LA. It's just, it's a really interesting city in, in that regard. And I think this is a case in point that speaks to one of our larger issues on this podcast around how infrastructure and transportation interacts with the development of a city. Los Angeles is not just sprawling because we built a lot of freeways and we built a lot of single family homes. It's sprawling because of what you're describing, where there is fundamentally a pull away from concentration. A lot of people want to live along this massively long, beautiful coastline. So you have this large draw to Long Beach, this large draw to Seal Beach, this large draw to Santa Monica. At the same time, you have the same kind of draw that you have in most cities toward the centralized downtown area. For jobs, for jobs. For jobs and for everything. Like people would want to live closer to that because Mm -hmm. it is closer to jobs. It's closer to nice things, Uh right? Like in most cities, like you look at Manhattan, you look at San Francisco, people want to live not necessarily in the heart of downtown, but close to downtown because there is that draw, right? That's why rents are so expensive in those areas. And you can walk to it. Exactly. And or, you, take, or take the subway or take the bus. You could walk it. and like you're connected enough. up with a lot more transit. But right. Los Angeles is almost unique in this way. I mean, it's not completely unique, obviously, but it is somewhat unique in that it does have this other polar pull where people really don't want to live in downtown as much as they want to live close to the coast. 
because it's just nicer in every way. And the communities are nicer. And they were able to do both when Los Angeles was really starting to grow. Yeah. The city was able to grow up around multiple poles at once because each person was able to individually or, or at least have one family car that they could then drive to and from certain areas. And also the, and I think we should talk about it, uh, and also the trolley system, the tram yeah. system in Los Angeles also grew up at the exact same time. And like, as much as that is a form of public transit that can be used to sort of densify an area and create a city that has lots of housing, not as basically the opposite of Los Angeles, like, right. more like New York or Paris, whatever. Um, as much as those they can be used that way, they can also be used as ways and have been used in the past as ways to uh, allow people people to live farther and farther from downtown. And so the car plus the tram growing up around like a rapidly growing city with multiple different job centers and job types and industries equals Los Angeles. Yeah. And what I find really interesting about the tram system is that it was very broad and expansive, but it just died out. Yeah. It died out a little bit because of, you know, there's there's a conspiracy theory actually around <laughs> <laughs> why the, the trams uh, died in Los Angeles, the trolleys, whatever. I don't think it's so much a conspiracy theory. It's just true. <laughs> like, Well, I mean. Like for public transit, people saw buses as the future, this new modern thing, just like they saw cars as the future. Wait, sorry, say that again? People back in the 40s and 50s saw buses as the future of public transit. Did they? Absolutely. Like this was one of the okay. big points about why people wanted to rip up tram lines. Well, actually, wait, you know what we should do before we get into this? I think we should talk about what the tram system was and then why it's gone. Okay. So for those people that don't necessarily know, how exactly was the tram system set up in Los Angeles? So LA used to have this amazing public transit system. It also used to have like an amazing bike path system. It was growing rapidly, but at that point, it didn't have a huge amount of cars everywhere. And this was sort of in the early 20th century. It's before everybody had money to have a car. Exactly. There were some cars, but trams or streetcars, I should say, they weren't necessarily trams. They're called streetcars, the LA streetcars. They grew up and they and they became a primary mode of transportation for a lot of Angelinos. And so they there was both a local system called the yellow cars and an interurban system of streetcars called the red cars. And they made travel around LA pretty quick and easy. And they existed for a long time. Yeah. But what ended up happening and the, I don't know, as much as it's a conspiracy theory or not, I'm, I was doing research on this and there, you know, people go back and forth about people it. People call but, it a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah. There's enough conspiracy to it. I mean, it definitely sounds like a conspiracy theory. Like I'll give them that. Sure. Basically what happened is in 1945, this corporation called National City Lines bought the Los Angeles Railway that served the majority of the region. And the interesting thing about National City Lines is that it was supported and or owned by a conglomeration of General Motors, Firestone Tire, Standard Oil, and a few other like rubber, gas, tire, and car companies. Basically companies that were in direct competition to streetcars and wanted to promote the growing mass production of single vehicles or cars. So the interurban cars, streetcars of the Los Angeles Railway were essentially eliminated and they were replaced by buses. And then buses went the way of most American public transit, which was that it became very inefficient because it competed with cars. It became relatively defunded and it gained sort of a stigma of being for people who can't afford cars, for relatively poor people and people in the inner city. Like that was like the stigma that's attached to it. I think most importantly, the bus network didn't grow at the rate necessary. I mean, yeah, yeah. All I'm saying is like all of those things combined sure. came together. And and that and that that's sort of like the story of buses within major US cities. And that's that's what happened to the railway system. And whether or not that was a conspiracy of these 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 companies to kill the railway is it's still a little bit of controversy. I mean, I don't think it was a conspiracy as much as it was just what they did. I mean, it, it was it was still definitely, I mean, they still owned it. You know, they still owned National City Lines. The thing for me, and then and I want to hear your point, the thing for me is that like, regardless of them owning, like buying off essentially the, the Los Angeles Railway and converting it to buses, number one, like buses probably were sort of the new thing to come in, the hip new they thing definitely were, yeah. of public transit. And then additionally, the car, regardless of if, you know, this railway is being bought up and then sold, cars were quickly becoming the major form of public transit. Yeah. And governments were increasingly investing in highways and widening streets and basically making cities incredibly hospitable for cars. 
meaning that most people would jump into a car and that just naturally, well, maybe not naturally because the government subsidized it, but- Yeah, the interstate, yeah. Right. In the way that things were going, streetcars were just on the way out and were just naturally being defunded because they just weren't recouping enough riders. And so I think like both of those things combined added to the destruction of the Los Angeles streetcar network. And I think it was a reasonable thought of people at the time that buses made a lot more sense than streetcars. If you think about their versatility, their ability to be rerouted, especially like we've talked a lot in this episode about how rapidly the city was growing and changing. Laying down tracks does not allow for that sort of incredibly rapid transition. Like from the 1930s to the 1960s, the city grew by over half a million people a decade on average. There is a logic to the idea that buses, while having the new technology and being easily updated and swapped out for new ones as they break down and things like that. They're also versatile to move between different routes and things like that. So like I could see how people would have thought at the time that it would have made sense and whether or not it was a corporate conspiracy to remove the railway. I I think it wouldn't have been a completely insane argument to say buses are the future. As a railway company, we're going to replace our rail lines with buses Mm -hmm. and they're just vertically integrated with these car manufacturers and whatnot now that's kind of neither here nor there because i think even with the tram system you would have had enormous growth of cars and everything and actually you brought up something interesting just now which i want to talk about a little bit which is the freeway infrastructure because we've talked on some other shows about the growth of the interstate and freeway investment and things like that and los angeles is not unique in having an enormous number of freeways running through the city, but just in terms of how central they are to how the city functions, I think it is. And it's actually interesting because it is not one of the most freeway-heavy cities in the United States. Shockingly. It is It is a little bit shocking to me. When I was researching this, it caught me completely off guard that it's actually 31st in terms of number of lane miles per capita. So that's, you know, amount of freeway that exists in the city per capita per thousand people. It's 31st in the country. Most people think of it as probably first or second. But I think it's because the system was designed to, you know, link up all of these different kind of metropolitan zones. And it is really a network that spans this massive range. And probably the reason why it's so low in terms of Uh, the miles per capita is because it is such an enormous area. You know what I mean? Like it is so many people and so many people have cars and there's obviously layers of roads beneath highways that funnel into the highways and all of that. But right around the fifties, I think it was actually 1947 that the plan was drawn up. There was a freeway system that was planned for the greater Los Angeles area. And Over the course of the next 50 years, they implemented a lot of it. But something that is interesting to note and might actually be an argument against a lot of the things you and I believe is that only about 60% of the plan has been implemented. And some people who have argued with me about Los Angeles and about the need for investment in metros and things like that, some of the arguments that they use are wrapped up in the fact that we have bottlenecks in a lot of our freeway systems in Los Angeles because we haven't completed the network. And some of the release valves that should redirect some of the traffic from the most burdened freeways don't exist because they were just never built. I don't necessarily ascribe to that argument, but it is interesting that Mm. in the place that is most known for freeway investment, they still have only gotten not even two-thirds of the way through their initial plan of freeway investment. Wow, I didn't know that. That's super interesting. Yeah. Huh. It is odd. You know, I like this part of the conversation because, you know, I wanted to I wanted to talk about where LA is right now. And I think this is a good moment sort of to transition over into something that I thought was also surprising and, and kind of and goes along with the, the freeway conversation. Sure. Our discussion about the different poles, the different sort of poles of gravity within LA and the fact that, you know, there's not just one centralized area lends to another surprising thing about LA that I learned when, when I was doing this research, which is that LA is actually the most dense urbanized area in the U.S., even more dense than New York and San Francisco, which is crazy because we talk about how big L.A. is. And whenever you talk about Los Angeles and think about it, the first thing that comes to mind is sprawl and that it sprawls everywhere. And it feels that way when you're in it. It feels giant. 
more so than really a lot of other cities I've been to, even like the big ones like Denver or like New York um, or Houston or whatever. It just feels large. It feels much more sprawly. It feels like it goes right. on forever in every direction. Right, yeah. right, right, exactly. But what's really interesting is like, then how is it the most dense urbanized area in the United States? And the thing that's most interesting about LA is that its suburbs are actually really dense compared to other cities. So if you look at like maybe the, the ring suburbs around Chicago or Houston or Denver, you'll find that the houses there most likely will have like a plot of land, you know, a backyard, front yard, basically there's spaces and space between the houses. Whereas in LA, you might not have a backyard or if it is a backyard, it's really small, definitely smaller than the ones in Denver or Chicago. Yeah. And that's what's super interesting about it. The high density suburbs compensate for the comparatively low density of Los Angeles's urban core. And in doing so, increase the average density of the area. Well, and a lot of the suburbs as we've said, are pre-existing cities that have their own downtown area. And so their own downtown area might not have skyscrapers. I mean, some of them like downtown Fullerton, downtown Long Beach, they will have some skyscrapers. But a lot of them, even if they don't have skyscrapers, they'll have some apartments, they'll have some denser housing in their old city centers, which aren't that old, but they're old enough that they were before the suburban era, right? So like the 30s and 40s. Yeah. And I think that's the reason why it's suburban areas are so dense is because it has a bunch of different cities within it that all kind of started to grow their own sort of suburbs in and around their centers of gravity. Yeah. But then they all sort of mesh together under the greater... <laughs> the greater planet of Los Angeles. It's true. So that's what's so interesting about LA for me is the it is actually really dense, but it still sprawls. And that's what's led to its problems today is that it suffers from many of those problems that come with high population density, but it lacks any of the benefits that come with traditional urban areas like walkability, like fast and effective public transit and good street life. You know, those things, they're not present across Los Angeles. There are definitely parts of LA that are really walkable, like downtown, like Central Hollywood, like Koreatown. I was looking at actually some of those places score really high on the walk score, which is this, you know, it's like a way to gauge the walkability of certain areas. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy is those areas that I just mentioned, downtown, Central Hollywood and Koreatown, they score higher than New York City in terms of walkability. Really? Wow. Yeah. But then there are other neighborhoods in LA, like Pacific Palisades, Porter Ranch, Bel Air, (laughs) Beverly Hills. All of these score just 14 points on the walk score. They're just the worst. And yeah, yeah, it's it's terrible. And here's actually a shout out to you for Long Beach. Long Beach actually scored higher than Baltimore in terms of walkability. That doesn't surprise me. But you know, even within Long Beach, you have the urban core, which is very dense. Well- relatively Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. all of northern long beach and a lot of eastern long beach is suburbs in the same way single family homes Mm -hmm. in that some of those neighborhoods actually in long beach and lakewood the small city just north of it those are some of the places where they had the first prefabricated not prefabricated but some of the first kind of standardized housing some of the first suburbs that were laid out where you only had two or three different kinds of houses and they were all built at the same time and you had the first kind of mass developments. And so even in one of the more dense parts of the Los Angeles area, you still have some sections that are not at all dense. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. For sure. You can you can definitely see how the city has grown yeah. and where it made choices and where cars became dominant. Yeah. You know, one thing about those density statistics, and I I haven't Mm -hmm. looked into this deep enough to know, maybe I'll get back to you guys on the next episode, but Mm -hmm. I do wonder when they're talking about the density of like New York and the New York metropolitan area, are they just drawing a line around the metropolitan area and taking the population per area? Because a lot of that is water, you know, same with San Francisco and the San Francisco Bay. San Francisco Bay, like the water part of it is a large portion of the land area. So I wonder if they're just calculating habitable area or if they're calculating the total area. Um, I actually have the answer to that. We'll put this in the show notes, the article where I got this really good data about, about density in Los Angeles. But I think it's just like square miles divided by the number of people who live there. Yeah. And I don't think it actually says if it accounts for water. Right. Because I think you're right. But I don't know. 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like it's still super dense regardless. Yeah, even then it's surprising right, how dense right, it is. Right. Even if it's not denser than mm-hmm. New York, like it's still surprising mm-hmm. that it would be anywhere in the ballpark. Right. I guess that's a good point. Yeah. Even if they did take water into account for New York and that somehow skewed it. And this is for, I think, just for Los Angeles. I don't know about for the metropolitan area. So I don't know. But what I think is really interesting about this, kind of what I got about this density, Mm -hmm. the really cool thing about Los Angeles is that we have this sort of case study for does more density equal better cities? And the answer is a clear no, because there are lots of issues with LA. Even though it's a hyper-dense city, there needs to be more than just density. There needs to be more than just the number of people in a given space. And I love this sort of as a case study. And why I love looking at different cities around the world is because we can like take the things that are good about them and learn from them or take the things that are unexpected about them and, and, and use that to sort of turn our conventional ideas of what makes a good city turn it on its head. Yeah, Because we've talked about density a lot and how density is a good thing, but you can't just have density for the sake of density. There has to be more. There has to be Mm. some sort of good street layout. There has to be like smaller blocks. There has to be like more investments in infrastructure and public transit and active transit, which is like biking and walking and skateboarding or whatever you use to get to and from a place. You can't just throw a bunch of houses down, put them really close together and say, that's a great city. There are lots of good things about LA, don't get me wrong, but it is the poster child for so many issues, and I would not wish the layout of Los Angeles on anyone else. It's true. (laughs) There are definitely things about LA I love, don't get me wrong, and things that are really good and that we can learn from. It has great stuff in it, and it has, like, it's like if you took New York and just rolled it out like a you know, like a paint roller <laughs> you know over ground mm-hmm. la is what you get yeah and there are problems with new york too but like they're different problems i'd rather have the uh, the density of new york and i think that ultimately makes for a certainly a more vibrant street life you know yeah la sometimes i drive through and i'm like man how can you ever live here parts of it you're just thinking like it just it's soul sucking some of the the suburbs of la i think like my personal hell is living in a suburb of los angeles not all of them it's like Santa Monica area and downtown LA and, and certain parts that are more walkable. Honestly, that's that's what yeah. it comes to. Well, and the is, coast, is... even if you're not in a walkable part, it's just nice. But there are sure. definitely some of the inland neighborhoods then, that go extraordinarily hot. And even then, you can't get to anything without driving for 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, even then, like, it, I mean, it just, it just comes with non-walkable areas. I'll say this about any suburb of any major cities. It just seems like hell. Well, speaking of the problems then... Yeah, I think it's maybe interesting to think about how we might go about fixing them because Los Angeles and its unique form of development speaks to one of the problems with these sorts of issues. And it's the problem of governance and control, right? One of the things that we kind of alluded to, but we didn't mention explicitly earlier is because all of these other pre-existing cities existed, they were big proponents of the highway system and building road links between the different cities. So you're talking about my city, Long Beach, you're talking about Santa Monica, you're talking about Pasadena, all of the different cities around Los Angeles, they didn't want a dense transportation network that drove everyone into the city center. They wanted people to be sent into their city centers and allow their people to get wherever they wanted to go without having to move away from their city or being drawn away. And so you have this interesting thing that Los Angeles, while it was the dominant center core of this metropolitan area, it did not outweigh the other members combined. And the input and control of investment and design that the other cities had really forced this trade-off. You didn't have this centralized power that said, we're going to build the city the best way the city should function. You had all Mm -hmm. of these people with different interests pulling in different directions that pushed toward this more decentralized And you can see why people would want to do this. You don't want your city to just be sucked dry and die into the growth of this larger Mm -hmm. central urban mass uh, as Mm -hmm. a defender of your own city. But it, it brings up real significant problems because a lot of cities that have these geographic restrictions, it's just easy, right? Like San Francisco has to face the problem that it can't expand into the water because it's got water. So they have all of these other unique problems they have to fix. But if you don't have those problems, how do you deal with this from a governance standpoint? Should the city of Los Angeles just be able to absorb the other municipalities and draw them into the same thing? Because we mentioned the buses slightly earlier. One of the things that is so terrible about Los Angeles is that there are 20 or 30 
unique bus networks that are set up by each city individually. Long Beach, where I'm from, it has a great bus network. And it is a terrible bus network if you want to get anywhere other than Long Beach. Mm. It's not integrated at all. Like if you want to get to Santa Monica from Mm. Long Beach, you have to take the same kind of bus that you would take if you were going to Las Vegas or San Diego or something. Like you can't take a city bus. You can't take a local regional bus really. Like it's, it's incredibly difficult. And so the way it's set up from a governance standpoint prohibits it almost from effectively structuring its development. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we've had a sort of a discussion about centralized versus local control of, you know, what's going on in your city. And I think that yeah. that's like, we should actually do a total podcast on that. But I think what's cool about and what's interesting about LA is that it seems like the major city, LA, is not necessarily coordinating as much with its outside cities as it should, or vice versa. And that basically, they're still fighting to like figure out how to make everything work because it's it's still just too fragmented. I mean, yeah. At some point, you have to make everything work together in order to get people from one side of this massive urban region to the other and do it relatively quickly. Well, and it doesn't have enough weight. Right. Well, but but also like each one of those cities has their own priorities and exactly. their own constituents and their own understanding of what makes a place great. And regardless of whether or not you think it should be controlled centrally or controlled locally, the fact that it's fragmented and the fact that there are those different and sometimes competing understandings of that issue means that you're going to have a disconnect, a literal disconnect of your transit system. Yeah. When I was a kid, I remember I took a bus and I had to get off at the end of the line, walk for about 30 minutes, and then I got to the next bus for the next city where the bus system started. Um, And then I took that bus. And you had to wait. You had to wait, right? Oh, yeah, of course. There was no like, it wasn't a timely transfer, I'm assuming. Oh, no, no, no. You had to wait and you had to pay again. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you walked 30 minutes, so there was no timing it anyway, because like, it's not like the bus stops were close to each other or anything like that. Like the system is completely disconnected. And so you're absolutely right. There is a literal disconnect there. But I just don't see without overriding it in some way, I don't see how you can ever come to kind of some sort of consensus with that sort of thing. Because especially when you're talking about heavy investment, like a metro system or something like that, you really need to get money and investment from all different parts of the city and you need to have everyone contributing into this and everyone buying into this and it's really going to harm some parts of the the city to the benefit of others like especially when you're thinking about property values and things like that and there are a lot of different options like london has stopped sprawl or tried to stop sprawl with their green belt right like you see Obviously, they don't have the geographic limits that other places have, so they've sought to limit it by putting restrictions on construction beyond a certain distance from the center. You you see other solutions that people have tried, but it's hard to see without having the incentives to centralize that you would normally have in a downtown area that draw people in and without having the unified governance, how you would ever achieve good, effective reform throughout the whole region. And I'm not saying that I have any answers to that, but it is just notable that the historic structure of this has meant that the city center and the major city, Los Angeles, really is not the dominant player in the region. Like we've talked about Long Beach, there are some other cities in the region. It is arguable that Long Beach is actually more of an urban core from like an actual city functioning because downtown Los Angeles, no one lives there really. Very few people live there. That's changing though. I, I just You're right, but I just wanted to throw it out there that that's changing. It is, but if you cut off downtown Los Angeles from the rest of Los Angeles, it could not function at all. Like You cannot just live within downtown very easily. It, it's not a balanced area is what I'm saying. Some of the suburbs like Fullerton functions in of itself better than the kind of city center. I wonder how it's going to develop because... We, like you said, we often talk about centralized versus local control, but this is actually local control doesn't have control because local control is so fractured. Like, I don't think anyone looking at another city like New York would say every neighborhood should be able to control its infrastructure investment or its bus system. Like, every neighborhood can't do that. You need a unified system. Like, it needs to be local. Like, you shouldn't control it from the national capital, but it shouldn't be hyper local. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, except that. Like, I, I agree, I should say. I'm just, the way it has worked out is kind of that way. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how it works in New York City, but I do know that, like, Hoboken is in New Jersey, which is a totally different state, and right across the water from New York. Right. And I imagine their bus system was kind of run by different people at some point, and then if, if it's not right now, then 
it was integrated into like a New York system, but it, then it's like a New York, New Jersey system. I, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the reason why you were having issues transferring between bus systems is because there were two bus systems to begin with. And cities don't want to give up that kind of control because they want to be able to dictate their own futures, which yeah. I guess is their own right. But at the same time, you know, if everyone does that, if they're not coordinated, I'm not saying they can't do that. I'm just saying if they're not coordinated, you're going to end up with a fragmented system. You're right. But I think my point is that Los Angeles is unique in this way because most places the downtown core has such a gravitational pull that every other part of the region needs to be able to get their people in there. So you want everyone to invest in public transit to get from Oakland to San Francisco or to get from Hoboken to Manhattan. Like if you're Hoboken, you really want to be able to get people into Manhattan because that's where everyone needs to go. That's where all the jobs are. That's where all of that is, right? And if people can't afford it, you want them to locate in Hoboken and be able to get in through transit. In Los Angeles, you don't have enough of that gravitational pull in that centralized zone to incentivize everyone else. No one else has that incentive because everyone is small enough and sending enough people in different directions that you just don't have the kind of incentive to get everyone on the same page. And it's because of its unique history and its you know unique geography. But that is a hurdle that most places don't have to face. Most places grew up in a centralized way, either because they grew up before the car or because they have geographic restrictions or whatever else it is. But there's no incentive for Long Beach to work their bus system together for Los Angeles because the vast majority of people that use the bus in Long Beach aren't going to Los Angeles, right? It's far enough and enough of those people are self-contained within that city that they don't need to get across to this kind of regional bus system. And you're absolutely right. There would be an advantage to everybody to get on board. But some of the cities have superb bus systems and some of the cities don't. And with the discrepancy in terms of funding and the discrepancy in terms of long-term investment in these things, you would have a few of the cities that really invest in it subsidizing the cities that don't want to invest in it. Like just to take two examples, as I said, Long Beach has an enormous amount of investment in public transit. Just across from the port, if you go up, you have this very wealthy area called Palos Verdes. It's up on this big green bluff. It's got all these kind of woods through the neighborhoods and they have no public transit. If you want to have a system where both of these areas have public transit and the wealthy area doesn't want to pay for it, either you have to force them to pay for it or you have to not have a unified system, right? Because the poorer area of Long Beach to subsidize the wealthier area of Palos Verdes makes no sense. And yet if the wealthier area doesn't want to have the transit and they control their own governance, then there's no way to have a transit system throughout the area. So I'm, I'm not saying that I have a solution to this, but I think it's interesting to realize that it's not just the way Los Angeles was built that is the problem in terms of getting around, in terms of the traffic, in terms of all these naughty issues. I think you and I both like the idea that if you change the design, if you follow, you know, some of the steps of walkability that we talked about in Walkable City, if you really take care to invest in a thoughtful way, that you can fix these things. But if the fundamental incentives are wrong, then people won't move that direction. They won't move down that line. And yeah, there are some incentives that are right. And some people are trying to make downtown Los Angeles more livable. And there is some investment in linking up some of these different areas better. And maybe over the course of the next century, it'll get to where it needs to go. But it would get there much, much faster if the incentives were different, driving people in the right direction from a governance and from an economic perspective. And so, you know, maybe it will shift or change at some point. Like there was one point where Los Angeles did absorb a few of the smaller cities near Los Angeles a long time ago. And so maybe something like that will happen or maybe there will be some transportation government body. Because like I think you you were mentioning with New York, the MTA in New York, I do believe is kind of a superseding body. Like, I don't think it's completely controlled by the city government. I think it is a regional transportation body. I'm not exactly sure how the governments, I would need to do some research on that. But you could establish a regional transportation body for the Los Angeles area that was tasked with making effective transportation investments and all cities contributed to it. Or maybe the state would have to make a move to establish that. I'm not, I'm not sure how that might come about, but it definitely is inadequate as it is now. You know, that's a super interesting take. I really like that. That was a great takedown of, or breakdown, I should say. That was a great breakdown 
of LA and, it, and its fractured transportation network. But the whole time I was kind of thinking like, now that we've kind of talked about where LA came from and where it is today, I wanted to think of where it's going. And the brightest star to me in the Los Angeles transportation constellation is <laughs> its metro system. Mm-hmm. And the fact that LA, you know, at least on paper, is really seeming to invest and in trying to invest in not just its metro, but in all of its transportation nexus. Um, yeah. But, you know, when, we, when you were talking about linking up different parts of the city and cities around LA County and LA, to me, it comes down to this metro system. And if you are unaware, Los Angeles actually does have a metro, despite only seeing pictures of cars. Despite no one having ever taken it. Despite no one having ever taken it. Number one, it, it's it's giant. It's huge, like in terms of just, just rails. And it does handle something like 1% of trips. So, you know, that's something. Right. Right. 1%. Not bad. It's better than nothing. Right. It is better than nothing. And it takes about 360,000 people per average weekday. The bus system in LA takes about 855,000 people on the average weekday. In comparison with New York, its subway takes about 5 million people per day. Uh, But then again, New York is bigger. Not by much, but it's bigger. I mean, actually, by a good amount, it's bigger, but like not percentage-wise, relative-wise. So LA has a long way to go. And in New York, everybody's going into one centralized district, generally speaking. Right. I mean, that's that's the issue, right? When I'm looking at this map and, and reading about Los Angeles Metro, the thing about it is if you're trying to go downtown, for most lines, that's usually the only reason why you'd take the metro unless you wanted to go somewhere else on one of the lines yeah because what strikes me the most about this map is there really aren't a lot of transfer points they're all basically in downtown la there's only one station that has more than two transfers connected to it Mm -hmm. and basically like if you're trying to go from one section of the city to another unless you don't mind going through downtown you're better off taking a car even in los angeles traffic and that's the problem that's like a big big problem with the system in terms of like how it's laid out and I know that it's expanding and it's trying to grow, and that's really good. And the the Olympics coming is going to help spur investment in it and expansion in it. it should, but yeah. The the you know Los Angeles is like we were saying earlier with like its density and its sprawl issues is that it's playing catch up at this point with its transportation network, and it's really moving in the right direction, but it's just not there yet. And I think that is contributing to the fact that there aren't a lot of people that take the system. But it seems like to me, I I, I see a lot of hope in the system. And just to call out like one thing specifically, in November of 2016, Los Angeles passed this thing called Measure M, which was a proposition on the ballot that anyone in LA could vote on. And its sole purpose was to improve public transit in Los Angeles. And here's like a quick little breakdown of it. It passed ultimately, with 70% of the vote, which was insane, considering that it gives $120 billion over the next 40 years to invest in its public transit. It's enormous, yeah. It's huge. And there are a lot of parts, a lot of the measure, like a lot of the money, it doesn't go away. It doesn't sunset. It's just a continuous sort of, I think it's a sales tax. Yep. Um, continuous tax yeah. for public transit, which is just unreal. I mean, that's it, it says it's like $30 billion for rail, $23 billion for local street improvements. It's a big investment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just huge. It's huge. And so the expansion of the LA Metro and the passage of Measure M, to me, signal that Los Angeles is really trying to take steps to better itself and to have a better public transportation network. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, no, I absolutely am as well. And I think if anybody, I'll put it in the show notes, but if you want to compare the Los Angeles metro system to like the Beijing metro system, I think it's a perhaps telling and useful comparison because I think all Los Angeles would need to make their metro system functional. Like right now, it's not even at a basic level functional. It, like you said, just funnels people in and out of downtown, but very few people go in and out of downtown. So it's not that useful. All it would need is a couple of ring metros. Beijing has it set up so that it has two different ring metros that connect all of these north, south, east, west lines, right? Los Angeles has several north, south lines. It has several east, west lines. It needs to connect those. So it could have diagonal routes, not ring routes, or it could have something else to that effect. But you're absolutely right. You need to be able to connect these different regional hubs together, either in a circular way or diagonal way, not running through the center to be effective. And and maybe maybe that will eventually work. One thing that is, I think, noticeable about the Los Angeles metro and something that is an interesting thing to think about for metro systems, generally speaking, it is more like a regional transportation system than it is 
like most other metros around the world because this average space between stops is substantially greater than you have mm-hmm. in a lot of places. So, well, sorry, sorry. Let me just let me just clarify what you're saying there. The average space between stops is larger than a metro, quote unquote, like a like the, the Paris metro or the yeah. London metro or the New York subway. But it's probably comparative to other regional trains. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you know what I'm saying? Like like the but, the cross rail in London or the RER in Paris yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Sim- similar to that. I guess that's the distinction you're trying to make. That is exactly the distinction I'm making. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Just just wanted to clarify that. No. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it is much more like a regional train system in the guise of a metro system because the city is so enormous and so the percentage of people who are going to live close to any of the lines and close to any of the stops and the percentage of places that you might go that are going to be close to any of the stops is going to be much lower than in those other metropolitan areas that have many many more stops per square mile and so Mm -hmm. while it's a great investment and it's a great step forward the idea that you're going to link up the entire area with effective transportation i think is a questionable way of going about things. And so I'm not sure if maybe the city should pick a few areas that it needs to invest in building out the transportation much more effectively and leave some of the less connected areas that aren't going to be well connected up even if you invest a lot of money to kind of <laughs> lie out there in car land. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what strategy I would pick in terms of this sort of investment, but even with the enormous numbers that they're going to invest, it's not going to make the entire city walkable. And so it'll be interesting to watch its progress as a higher percentage of the neighborhoods become more accessible. But I'm still very concerned about the city and the city's development. Uh, yeah. That's super interesting. You know, I think like kind of to, to wrap this up, you know, as someone who was born in LA and lived in LA for mm-hmm. a while, what do you love about Los Angeles? Like, what what do you think like makes it a great place? Because I think we've talked a lot about sort of its challenges and issues, but you know, I want to hear from someone with that perspective. Like, you know, what do you think is great about it? Yeah, I I do end up harping on it a bit much, and I think that's natural for people. You you, you see the negatives, you see the things that bother you, obviously. But for me, growing up, and you know. It doesn't speak to Los Angeles as a whole necessarily because I was very much in one pocket of Los Angeles, you know, and it is such an incredibly large place where different areas are like living in a completely different place. But for me, growing up in the part of Long Beach that I grew up in, I think the incredible mixture of people and ideas was invigorating growing up and just just enlightening. Long Beach and Los Angeles generally is extremely diverse, but like not not even just ethnically. Like there's a lot of first generation immigrants. There's a lot of ethnic diversity, obviously, and that was great for the food. That was great for a lot of different things. Like having such good Korean food made it very easy when I moved to Korea to be used to the food and know what different things were and things like that. But also just you get this mix of different political views. You get this mix of different economic situations and you know long beach in particular has a big you know school busing system so you were around very different people in high school like i feel like it was an interesting place to grow up just because of the environment and obviously you know the lakers the los angeles lakers are (laughs) practically the point of the city let's be honest (laughs) and you know something else (laughs) los angeles and and i'm i'm actually kind of surprised that i didn't bring this up earlier it is incredible for the amount of diversity in terms of places you can go, like the biomes or the geographies that you can get to, like getting to deserts with things like Joshua Tree National Park, getting to mountains and skiing and ski resorts and all uh, things like that, getting to beaches, getting even to the forests of central California. Within two or three hours, you can get to all sorts of incredible places that are extremely different. Like I've heard many stories of people going, you know, surfing in the morning and then going skiing in the afternoon, you know, like that sort of thing is obviously not common. Most people don't do that, but it is possible. And there aren't many places in the world where you have this incredible diversity of 
just activities you can do. You can do all sorts of things all times of year because, you know, the weather is not terrible at any point. You know, you don't have hurricanes, you don't have snowstorms. And that gives you exposure to a lot of things. So you get a lot of exposure to all sorts of different people and all sorts of different activities. And, you know, it, it is, if nothing else, a very interesting place to live. Definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So with that, I think, I think that's the episode. I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it, man. Thanks so much for talking and we'll chat again in two weeks. Yeah. So links to anything that we referenced as always at subjectradio.com slash polis slash zero one zero. So episode 10, we've gotten through 10. How do you feel <laughs> about that? Uh, wow. That's insane. Right? Yeah. I've, yeah I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. That's exciting. Me too. Double digits. <laughs> yeah. I will talk to you in two weeks. Have a good one. Yeah, you too, man. Where the Hollywood sign is, those mountains. What are those called again? The coastal mountains? No, no, the ones that divide the San Fernando Valley from the rest of LA. Oh, yeah. I don't know what those are called. You're, you're calling me? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh. Um, anyway, that's that. That's what's so interesting about LA and, and San Gabriel, about, maybe <laughs> the San Gabriel Mountains. Maybe the San Gabriel Mountains. Yeah. Yeah.